Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, guys. Thank all of y'all for taking part in worship this morning. I've had a good time. I don't know about you. <laughs> I have. But anyway, thank you so much. Good morning. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Second Peter. We want to look at Second Peter chapter 3. I want to share with you about God's clock. God's clock. And we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. Verse 8 will be our text. We'll be looking at perhaps about six other passages. So I'm glad you brought your Bibles. Always bring your Bibles. We may have technical difficulty, and it may not be on the screen. And so uh, bring your Bibles. Always bring your Bibles. God's clock, 2 Peter 3. 3 through 9, our text, verse 8. You'll have to listen real fast this morning. I've got a lot to say. I think I shared with Richard and Kim, I had seven sermons lined up for this morning. But uh, I've cut it back to one. And so I believe this is what God would have us to hear. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water by which the world that then existed perish, being flooded with water. Things really were not always like they were. Started out, all of a sudden, mankind became so sinful that God destroyed the world, saved Noah and his family with a flood. Things have not always been like they were. But they... By their willful, if you'll notice, by their willful disbelief, their willing ignorance. Verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Things are not always going to exist like they're going now. Judgment's coming. But verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts. I pray that I might speak as you direct me this morning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say the man. And may your Holy Spirit convict all of us 
And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8 is our text. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. My, my, I've looked at that verse time and time and time and time again. And most recently, it just really became clear to me. Now, I have to confess that as you study this passage, there are many interpretations to this text. I'm going to mention three. First of all, some people take this text and they spiritualize the text. Spiritualize the text. They don't look at the text literally. They just take the text out of context and they spiritualize it. For instance, one person says that it refers to the fact that in our human experience, we go along year after year after year, and suddenly there is a crisis in our life, and the whole world suddenly changes. A thousand years, then a day. That's a thousand years. Another illustration of spiritualization, let's say that China is building up their nuclear capacity. So is Iran. You've been listening to the news this morning. They're building up their nuclear capacity to be able to annihilate the United States in a surprise attack. And let's say we go along day after day after day and year after year and year after year after year and on and on and on. And suddenly a day is a thousand years and our nation will be wiped out a thousand years a day a day a thousand years. Could happen in your own personal life too. Everything's going along really good for the last 50 years, 60 years, a day after a day after a day, and all of a sudden, a thousand years is to a day, and a day is a thousand years. Some people spiritualize it. Some people use the text to try to set the time of the coming of the Lord by using the Hebrew calendar, and I don't have time to go into all of that this morning. But then some, they uh, isogete the text. Preachers do this. They isogete the text, meaning this is what I read and I get from the text and, and I, I preach it and what I get from the text. But really, when you take this first, the best way to interpret the text is to not isogete the text and not, not uh, spiritualize the text, but the best way is to exegete the text. You've heard that word, to exegete. Meaning, what does God say about it? What does God say about it? What is Peter talking about in, in 2 Peter chapter 3? What causes him to say what he says? What is the meaning of what he says? What does it mean to us? What is God saying to us? Not what the preacher isogetes from the text, not what someone spiritualizes from the text, but to exegete the text. What does God say about verse 8? So what is Peter talking about? 
Now, in verse 8 in the King James, it says, Be not ignorant of one thing. In the New King James, it says, Do not forget this one thing. This, do, not, do not be ignorant. The word ignorant means no knowledge of. One translation says, uh, It is not to let this text be hidden from you. Uh, don't be ignorant of this one thing. The uh, New King James, don't forget this one thing. Now, what's he talking about? What are we not to forget? Real simple. That one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 8. So don't be ignorant of that. Don't forget that. Now, what does that mean? So first of all, if you're taking notes on the outline, I think I jotted down, he's talking about the scoffers who say in verse 3 and 4, knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So first of all, what's Peter talking about? He's referring to the scoffers. Now what's a scoffer? A scoffer is someone that ridicules. A scoffer is someone that, that, will, that mocks. Someone who is willfully ignorant. These scoffers said things continue like they've always been. Overlooking, willfully ignorant, that one day the flood came and destroyed everyone on the face of the earth except Noah and his family. Scoffers and mockers. God commanded Noah to build a boat, an ark. No doubt they scoffed. No doubt they mocked. The ark was a sign of judgment. No doubt they mocked. No doubt they scoffed. Judgment would soon come, but they were willful, willfully ignorant of the judgment that was coming. Although Noah preached for 120 years, the preaching of Noah, they were ignorant, willfully ignorant. And then the flood came. And the scoffers today, we have them today. You're familiar with scoffers today. If not, turn on your TV and watch the news for a while. When it comes to church opening and church closing and scoffers today, they look back at the flood. They can, but they mock. And then they look ahead at the prophecy that's been preached, but they mock. So what's Peter talking about? He's talking about mockers, talking about the scoffers. But not only is he talking about the scoffers, he's trying to encourage us, point two. He's trying to encourage us to, to cling to our faith and not give up. He's trying to encourage us. He's trying to comfort us not to give up. The Lord is coming. Amen. The Lord is coming. Amen. Amen. He's coming. You better believe he's coming. He's coming. Don't give up. Our clock might be fast, but don't give up. Just remember, God's clock's not like our clock. But He's coming. The Lord is coming. And so, Peter is trying to give us comfort and encourage us 
not to give up, to hold on to our faith. Let me give you an illustration. Paul and Silas, they preached in Thessalonica. They preached to the church there, and the central message there was, the Lord is coming at the church of Thessalonica. The Lord is coming. They preached, and they went from Thessalonica down to Athens and then to Corinth, and while they were at Corinth, they received a message from the church at Thessalonica. This was the message. Jesus has not come as he promised, and our loved ones have died. What about them? What about those who have died? Will they share in the kingdom, or is it all over for them? Have they missed it because they because the Lord hasn't returned and they've all died. That's what they were concerned about. But Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, if you remember, Paul wrote this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who are asleep, who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So regardless of the unbelief of the scoffers today and the mockers today, and regardless of what goes on in a new political administration in Washington, D.C., be comforted by this one thing, Paul said. The Lord Jesus is coming back. One day, be reminded, God's clock is different from our clock. And on God's clock, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. So what's Peter talking about? What's he talking about? He's talking about the scoffers. And then he's trying to encourage us and to comfort us not to give up, but to cling to our faith. Then number three. God is not bound by time. God is not bound by time. He's not bound by time. We're bound by time. We're imprisoned to time. The person who is physically ill. The video we saw just a few minutes ago. Oh, how she's wished and prayed that she would be healed from being a quadriplegic, but she is imprisoned in that time. We're imprisoned at time. Perhaps a, 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 a person physically sick imprisoned at time with pain and with sickness, but at the same time, perhaps someone is enjoying a beautiful day, a beautiful occasion like Judy and I did last week. Oh, if that could just last forever, that would have been so great. Not only that one day, but the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Man, it was great. It was fun. But we're imprisoned to time in sickness, and we're imprisoned to time and happiness, eventually both are over with. But the Lord's not bound by time. He's not bound by time. 
God's not bound by time. To us, if something is near, it's, it's, uh, it's five minutes away. Or it's uh, Florence is 30 minutes from here. Or maybe 45 minutes or maybe an hour. That, that's something that would be near. So to us, if a thing is 50 years or if a thing is a thousand years from now, that would be far off. We would never, we would never see it. But that's not right with God. I mean, that's not the same for God. To God, there's no near, and with God, there's no far away. He's just here. He's present. He said in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, listen to what he says. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He said, God said, Moses said, who am I going to tell him sent me? He said, tell him I am sent you. I am who I am. He didn't say, he, he, he said, I am. He didn't say, uh, I was sent you. That's like a change or development in God to say that he was. He didn't say, my name is, I shall be. That's kind of like there's other things in the life of God that have been yet revealed. I, I shall be sent me. Of course not. He said, I am in the past, in the present, in the future. So the point is, God is always the same. The point is, all time, all time is present, tense with God. All time. God, God looks out across the eons of eternity. He looks at the beginning. He looks at the end. He looks all the way through. From the beginning to the end. The point is, beginning through the end is all present with God. He sees it all at one time. All at one time. Number four. History. History is um, present with God. History is present with God. Uh, to us, things happen one day at a time. History is in the present with God. Um, you know, all things happen one day at a time, a day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time, but God looks upon it all in the present. Everything, just remember that, everything is in the present with God. Everything that happens in all of humankind, the Lord looks at from the beginning to the end. From the, get it, maybe this will help. From the creation to the fall to the flood to the, to the choosing of Israel as a nation to, to Egyptian captivity to the, to the promised land to the cross to the resurrection to the church age to the tribulation to the second coming of Christ. He sees all of that at one time. It's all in the present. Let me give you an illustration. I may have used this before. Years ago, my dad took his scout troop uh, down Bear Creek from Red Bay to the Tennessee River. That was our plan. And uh, we went 
we went around one bend at a time. We got about three miles down that creek, and a tornado had went down, had followed that creek for about five miles, and it laid tree over tree and tree after tree over that creek. And we had, to, we had to take the canoes out, all of our backpacks and supplies, and carry it around where that tornado came through there. And we could just see, we could just see straight water for a while. We didn't know what was around the bend. We'd have to get out, carry here, carry there. We saw things that it really uh, no man had ever seen. We saw snakes that I believed down that creek that they'd never seen any human. I mean, they just lay there on a log as you float by. I mean, they've just, it's like, what's that going by, you know? They, we, we saw everything on that trip. We finally reached Tishomingo State uh, Park, which wasn't that far. And, and my dad got out, and he asked a park ranger, he said, How, how's the creek all the way down to the Tennessee River from here? And he said, well, you know what you've just been through? And dad said, yes. And he said, it's about 10 times as bad as that. So we pulled out at Tishomingo. We called for a truck to come get us, and Herman Fitz came, brought his flatbed, and picked up all the car hood boats and the, and, the, and the canoes. But the point is, we could only see around one bend at a time. But God is not like that. He sees from here to there. He sees it all in the present. To us, things happen one at a time, day at a time. We don't know what's around the next bend, but God does, and God sees the whole thing from the beginning to the end, all of it. It's in the present. He sees it always. You say, well, what's Peter talking about? Well, he says there in verse 8, he says in verse 8 of uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, but beloved, don't forget this one thing. One day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So what's he talking to Peter about? He's talking about scoffers. He's trying to encourage us, to comfort us, not to give up and cling to our faith. And then God's not bound by time, and all history is in the present with God. And then time is obedient to God. Now, you remember Hezekiah. Look at 2 Kings chapter 20 real quick, and I'm running just a little behind. 2 Kings chapter 20, but this is important. 2 King Hezekiah, you know he's sick, and, and he's praying for good health, and God grants him 15 more years, and so we'll skip on down uh, after God grants him the, the um, 15 more years. And verse 8, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what's the sign that the Lord's going to heal me? and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This is a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he's spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees? Now Hezekiah said, I want to know if the Lord's going to help me. And he, and he says, Well, do you want the shadow on the sundial to go forward ten degrees or to go backward? Hezekiah's thinking, he's thinking, well, it's going to be easy for it to go forward. So verse 10, Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. Verse 11, so Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. God's not governed by time. But God has control of time. 
And so time is obedient to God. God is not caught in time. He's the Lord over time. He rules over time. And so the text in 2 Peter 3, 8, uh, 8 says, Let this not be hidden from you, that one day with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years one day. Therefore, what should our text say to the scoffers who make fun of God and scoff at His promises? Those who make fun and say, where's your God? Where's the promise of His coming? 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4. And they say, we don't see the heavens roll back and we don't hear the trumpet sound and we don't see the graves open. And the agnostic says, I don't see God. You're going to have to prove a God. And the atheist says, I don't believe in God. All I see is the world. That's so funny. You're believing in God. Just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow may never come. So what do you do with the scoffer? I want to read a quote from W.A. Criswell about scoffers, about a particular one, Sinclair Lewis. Listen to what one of my favorite preachers said. I have a W.A. Criswell Bible. They're out of print now, and I had him to autograph it. He was the pastor at First Baptist Church Dallas for over 50 years. Here's what he said. When I was a youngster, when I was a teenager, there was a very famous novelist by the name of Sinclair Lewis. And there was a very gifted and famous syndicated columnist named Arthur Brisbane. He had a column called Today in many of the newspapers in America. It was in the left-hand side. And there was a president of the Santa Fe Railroad named W.B. Story. And one day, Sinclair Lewis stood in the pulpit in Kansas City, and he was making fun of the idea of God, and he said, If there be a God, I challenge him. I dare him to come and strike me dead in this pulpit. Oh, when Sinclair Lewis said that, the whole world of infidelity clapped. Oh, my good old man. Man, did you ever hear anything like that, said the whole world. They headlined the, it headlined the newspapers, and they wrote editorials, and quote, Sinclair Lewis, the great author and novelist, he scoffs at the ideal of God. He dares God to come and strike him down is there, if there is such a God. Chris Wells said, I remember so well. I remember what Arthur Brainsbin wrote about. Arthur Brainsbin was a very devout Catholic. Here's what he wrote in that Today's column. He said, you know Sinclair Lewis standing in the pulpit in Kansas City dared God to come strike him dead if there be a God? He said, you know, that reminds me that if a little ant, a little ant, a little tiny ant in the, in the deserts of Arizona and right through the middle of Arizona, the great Santa Fe Railroad runs, and that little ant gets up on the top of one of those big steel iron rails, lifts up his head and says, and quote, I'm told that there's the head of this railroad by the name of W.B. Story. I don't believe it. If it were true, if there is a W.B. Story who runs this railroad, I dare him to come out here in Arizona and strike me dead, step on my head. And Arthur Brainspin said, W.B. Story would say, well, it's just not worth my time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
If that's what the Lord thinks of scoffers and mockers. Well, only strike them dead. I'm going to tell you, that's not worth his time. Judgment's coming one day. Why would God leave heaven to come down and take out a mocker or a scoffer when judgment is coming one day? Why should the great almighty, Chris Well said of the vast universe, the sovereign God of time and tide and eternity, take time out to go down there and step on some foolish ant's head? Why should God do the same with some fool that says there is no God? Judgment's coming. Our Lord's coming again. What may be a delay to us is right on time for him. His judgments may tarry. Evil men may wax worse and worse, according to Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. But judgment may tarry. But I promise you, my friend, it's coming. And in closing, number six, why does God delay? Well, why doesn't God stump out evil? Why doesn't God do something about China? Why don't he do something about Korea? Why don't he do something about those who plan war? Well, I'll tell you why. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why, that's why God delays. Why doesn't God come? Today, Jesus is praying. He's our mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5. And he's praying perhaps that someone here today might open their heart and accept his great salvation. Listen, he's coming. may seem long to us, but there's no time with God. He's already here. He'll save those who are willing to trust him in sincere faith. So look to him now. Accept him now. Open your heart to him now. And say, even come now, Lord Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I come to you and I thank you for the time that we've had this morning. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come today or a thousand years from now. For I understand that your clock is not like our clock. Your clock and your is not like our clock. Your day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And so, Lord, we know that you're long-suffering and you're patient, and that's why you have them coming. And so I pray, Lord, today, as we sing this invitation hymn, that somebody would give their heart to you, that somebody would put their life as a believer into the fellowship of Mountain View Baptist Church that somebody would come this morning and say, Brother Sammy, I want to give you my hand, but I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I pray they'll do that today. I thank you, Lord, that your clock is different. Our faith is, trust is in you. 
and we wait for you to come. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name.